This episode was published on Thursday, December 10, 2020. In today's edition, I speak with the CEO of Control Bionics, Rob Wong, about the disruptive technology that's enabling severely disabled people to connect with their world. Welcome to Curation. Today I'm speaking with Rob Wong. Rob has a deep background in advertising, experience running a big data analytics firm, and managed to find time to establish a digital media company. For the past four years, Rob's been the CEO of Control Bionics, a medical technology company that allows severely disabled people to operate and communicate using only their thoughts and neural signals. And excitingly, yesterday, Control Bionics celebrated their IPO on the Australian Stock Exchange. So we'll talk to Rob about that and the amazing future of neurotech. Rob, welcome to Curation. Thanks very much. Great, Simon. Thanks. Pleased to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. So, you know, I note that Control Bionics was founded by the former CNN anchor Peter Ford. And uh, as the story goes, Peter taught himself to code and began developing neural communication tools, you know, almost 17 years ago. So how did, how did you connect with Peter? What was your involvement with him? Was that through the CNN days that, that you knew him? No, it wasn't actually. It was, as you know, my background is uh, really comes out of the advertising industry. And I started a business called Catalog Central, funded by a venture firm called uh, Nightingale with Lindsay Phillips in Sydney. And when, I, when we sold out of that business in successfully in 2011, I exited in 2013, we, we found that Control Bionics were in the same. Right. And so you know, sort of late in 2016, the, the founder of Nightingale, Lindsay Phillips, said to me, Rob, what are you doing? We've got this fantastic little business called Control Bionics. It's got amazing technology, but we'd, we'd like your opinion on, you know, how could we take the business forward? Mm. So I presented to the board. 24 hours later, Peter Ford, the founder, came up to me and he said, you know, that plan you recommended, Rob, how would you like to implement it? Right. And, and because of the work we we're doing, I don't know, helping people with severely disabilities be able to communicate again, it's a pretty easy decision to say, I think this would be an exciting business to grow globally. Yeah, because it's something you can really, you know, you feel like you're really making a difference. I, I remember years ago uh, when I was involved with the Flybuyers loyalty business, it was a great yeah. business and it was growing and it was huge. And and I think it was beneficial to people. But at nighttime, I couldn't hand on heart say that I was actually transforming anything. You know, I was giving people extra benefits and we we're getting great data, but it wasn't really changing the human condition. Where What you're doing is is having that actual that actual touch into families and people's lives, which is you don't often get the chance to run something like that. No, and that was the exciting thing about it, that, mm. you, know, you know, we're really doing something exciting. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's a completely different business for me in terms of the way the product development occurs and the way the market conditions are of how you sell that product into market. But an exciting challenge. And as long as you have good business principles to that approach, you know, it was a challenging, but very doable exercise for me to turn myself to the attention of growing this business. I'm not sure if you remember, you mentioned Catalog Central. Do you, do you remember yep. that you actually approached me for a job at Catalog Central at one stage? I do, I do, <laughs> absolutely I do. Just when you mentioned it, it brought that back to my mind and uh, yep. you, you quite rightly passed on, on bringing me on board. That was, a good, <laughs> that was a good call, Rob. But it's a, it's a shame that I didn't because I, I would love to have uh, followed in your footsteps to, to what you're doing now. But interestingly... Oh, 
one of the things that keeps coming out in all of the discussions um, around this new business is the the involvement of Stephen Hawking and and I know that's obviously a really great angle that people love to talk about, but but he was actually involved for a number of years giving touchpoint feedback. Is is that right? Yep, absolutely. So Peter spent a number of trips to Cayman. It started out with Professor Stephen Hawking in, in when he was touring the US, and then the relationship continued. And he gave us great advice, or great Peter before my time, great advice on the core technology and what we were doing. Mm. And, and that helped us shape a very robust technology that really no one else in the in the AAC space was really considering this idea of using EMG muscle signals which we all send to our muscles but actually using them as a communication device mm. yeah it's significant yeah. and I think that's a good I think that's a good point because I, when I was sort of tracking your your history you know what's interesting is one of the, the great sayings that people use at the moment is, you know, marketing and digital and, and those kind of products are just pushing pixels on a page. And so you went from pushing pixels on a page to uh, sort of tracking the data that was coming yep. from the page. And, and now you, you're into an actual physical product and that Euronode trilogy, which, you know, the, the basic summary is that it's this three-in-one solution that helps people specifically with paralysis or loss of speech or anything that's severely limiting. Can you just sort of give us a, a quick one minute of how that actually works and describe the product? And you mentioned, yep. you know, electromyography and, and how EMG is used, but I'd love to just give a little bit more detail to the listener. Sure. So our, our system involves a, a watch-like device that can go over the top of any muscle in your body. So it could go over a, your frontalis, it could go behind your wrist, it could go on your knee or your calf muscle. As long as we can pick up a volitional signal to that muscle, it acts like a click to a computer. And then what we do is we combine that with the access method of eye gaze, where so with your eyes and we triangulate the direction of your eyes onto whichever part of the page you want to go to. And then instead of having to use the traditional method of, of activating, which was to dwell, waiting on that letter and for about a second or, or half a second before it selects that item, with our technology, you don't have to do that. You simply look at the letter that you want to select and the moment you then send a cross signal to your neuronode device on your arm or on your leg and it instantly makes that selection. And as a result of that, combining that with speech technology, we've been able to get a solution which we think is world-class in terms of faster speed and significantly less fatigue compared to traditional technologies. Uh, yeah, I didn't. well, I didn't pick up about that about the eye gaze, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, I wrote an article about Apple's plan to move into glasses and the fact that they're gonna be doing a lot, they've launched a bunch of patents around how they actually track eye movement, um, eye gaze, and and uh, and even just, you know, sort of tracking breathing through the eyes. So it's it's an interesting field being able to observe what's happening with eye movement. Because so, I, I was completely oblivious to how much you can tell by by the interaction of the eye, it's incredible. Yeah, it's an, it's an incredible area, field of study in terms of what's happening in that space and what's going to happen over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I think it, it really captures people's imagination. So obviously, yesterday was a great day for you with the IPO and, you know, the share price pr practically doubled by the end of the first day of trading. How did it feel for you to get such a positive response? Walk us through yesterday, what happened on the day and, and the behind the scenes conversations you guys were having about how exciting it was. Yeah, well, it was a very exciting day. I mean, 
you know, the share price is fantastic result for all, all of the investors that we that we took on board as part of the IPO process. And certainly it was exciting to see the share price, you know, and the support that it had to almost double. Mm. But to be honest, the real buzz for me is, you know, we've been building this business on, you know, smell of an oily rag relatively in terms of growing a, a global business. And what's really pleasing about the capital raise, we're going to net out of around $14 million Australian, means that I can really put some, lay down some solid plans for international growth now. Mm. And to be honest, that's the, that's the, you know, the relaxing bit in terms of, you know, you're not always chasing your tail with what's cash flow looking like, how are we going to manage that? Can we go forward with that program? Well, we'll see how we're going. Mm. To now being able to say, no, we want to tackle Japan and we want to do it properly. And what are the things that we've got to have in place in terms of people, process and systems to make that a success? Yeah, that is really great. It's not a billion dollar war chest, but it's more than enough to prove out what, what you need to do in this first first In the first stage, absolutely. Yeah. And and we just see it as the beginning. You know, we, we don't see any reason why we can't be, you know, a very, very leader in this field globally. That's going to take a little t- bit of time to build, but we've got a great team and a great philosophy around the company to do that. How does that work, Rob, the split between being a Melbourne-based and you've also got offices in Ohio, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so what, what's the split and do you think you can do what you want to do based out of Australia? I think the business is growing and uh, I think from day one we've had a business that we thought would have to be in multiple places to be successful. So we've always had a of, you know, you know, using a Zoom call like this is, is standard business practice for us. And I spent a lot of time in the early days in the US market, really working on what are the dynamics around how the business, how technology is sold to our particular market, what what channels do we need to open up, what regulatory barriers are there, um, and all of that. So I spent about, you know, for the last couple of years, spent about eight months in the US on average. Mm. Uh, but I think with this with this phase, you know, we'll, we'll be building a global global organisation, and that may mean that we diff- need different centres in different parts of the world. You mentioned regulation. One of the interesting things is everyone talks about Moore's law, which is obviously the the increasing capacity of processes, which which I guess enables the technology that you use. But also you've got the inverse, which is E-Room's law, um, which is Moore's law backwards. But that's that talks about the fact that every year or every two years, the time and cost of getting FDA approval actually doubles. And I noticed that you already have FDA approval. So how... What was that process and how long did that take? And obviously that puts you in a brilliant position, right? Absolutely brilliant position. And, and obviously the patent protection as well across the core technology. But that's when, you know, was spent. We you know we didn't, certainly before I joined, Peter wasn't really chasing revenue at that particular point in time. What we were chasing was market access. Mm. And FDA, FDA approval was one of the key things that we did during that time. And that was one of the great things when I came on as an investor. I really wanted to know two things. I said, have we got, you know, regulatory approvals? And secondly, is does the technology actually work? Right. And, you know, is it reliable? And those two things I could fundamentally answer when I'd done my analysis and I invested on that basis coming in. But I also knew that the product at that particular point in time had a lot of development to do to actually make it, you know, a consumer usable product, which works for the user, works for the primary caregiver, and also clinicians can see the benefits of how the product works. When you talk about working for the user, 
one of the things that's really crucial as a CEO is to sort of tell that story. I forget who it was. I was reading another tweet yesterday, just really talking about the fact that you become chief storyteller and you've got to keep telling that story to the market and to the users and to investors. And and it's your responsibility to really pick the the best story or the best, the most compelling use case. And, and when you sort of think about the, because there's so many different ways this could be used, but when you think about the compelling use case, who is it? Like what, what is the disability that that sort of reaches out to people the most and makes them understand the potential of this product? You've got a variety of conditions like ALS and MND, which are classic people who use our product with those sorts of conditions, degenerative conditions. It's conditions like cerebral palsy, like a 25-year-old lady in Singapore who has has cerebral palsy, right? Mm. And, And at the age four, she was diagnosed and said, no voluntary movement and basically has struggled to have any sort of communication, you know, right up to that age. And yet I was able to take the technology, place it on her arm and prove to the team that at a micro level, she did have volitional control. And I could pick up in the millions of volts, her reaction to things that when, when I asked her to think about moving a finger and she was able to play a game, a simple shoot game, within about five minutes and it was just absolutely flooring for the team that this girl had had this potential and yet had never been given the right technology to be able to begin to communicate actually it reminds me rob did there was a there was a ted talk about six years ago from someone called mary lou jepson did you ever come across her and she she was talking about future devices being able to read images from our brains and i think it's based on jack gelman and and the cal berkeley studies Yeah. So what, what, I mean, you know that, but just for the, the listeners or, or viewers or readers, the interesting thing was that, that the Cal Berkeley team was able to sort of show using, they used MRI scans, I believe. And what they were able to see is when someone was looking at, at, at an image versus imagining the image, it had exactly the same profile. It, yeah. Incredible. And so I guess when, when you're speaking to, to that person you mentioned in, and she's an Im- imagining, it's almost as, as real in terms of how it triggers a response in the body. Yeah, it is. I mean, we've, we could have gone down the EEG at this particular point in time, but we felt that a more simple commercialization opportunity was to actually get intent on the muscle body. Because when, when something comes out of the spine, it's coming out at a very, very fast rate with low latency, which is all to do with our movement function. Mm. You know, and I think in the brain here, lots and lots of tangential parallel things are going on. And it's very hard to detect exactly what's going on right at that second. And now yeah. the philosophy of Peter was to say, well, we just really want the intent. We've got plenty of computer horsepower on the other side of the body to be able to figure out what the person wants to do once we get the intent. So it's sort of like, you know, I want to go to the refrigerator to drink milk. That's my intent. If we can get that intentional input from the body, we can often turn that into actions. And that's what we do with our computer software. You know, we, we have full phrases ready to be um, spoken to by a person. And they look at that spot on, on the screen, make it make a single click saying, that's what I want to say, and out spits that sentence. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm really interested in your take on Elon Musk and the Neuralink team. Obviously, it's a it's a parallel development and a, a lot of people saw at the end of August, it was almost like one of those surreal moments oh, right. where, where, you know, the Neuralink team was doing 
uh, a live demonstration of, of a pig called Gertrude who was fitted That's out right. with recording signals. And, and they've actually done an, an implant where you've gone for a wearable and, and they've gone for an implant that actually connects up and, and reads what's happening in the brain. You know, what, what's your take on that and, and where do you think that's headed? And, and, you know, how does that compare with why have you taken your approach and they've taken theirs? Well, I think, you know, one's resources. Certainly we don't have the resources that someone like an Elon, Elon Musk has to be able to develop that. But equally, we just looked what was workable hmm. for the users, caregivers and clinicians. What could they use right now? And all of the stuff that Elon Musk is doing, the, the raw intent, we're up there in terms of being able to actually deliver that today with no latency. And that's the issues with things coming out of the brain mm. that you have, you know, this latency issue. And you also have the issue of implants and surgery. Yeah. What do you do if the technology suddenly needs to be refitted? All of those things have major implications. Not to say that we shouldn't be doing that. But for us, we want to supply something to our users now, not in 10 years' time. We want something that they can really use and that really is non-invasive. Yeah, it seems like a massive hurdle to initial engagement to have, to have what I, I refer to as an insertable rather than a wearable. Uh, there would have to be a much smaller percentage of people who'd be prepared to get uh, a hole drilled in their skull and then something connected into their brain. I mean, it's almost like a, it's an emotional hurdle before you even be begin the treatment, which is significant. Oh. Absolutely. I mean, certainly, you know, it will happen into the future. I think, you know, we'll get better and better at technology. Even, you know, we may develop things in that space mm. as well. But I think what we're about as a company is what can we do now to help people who are in desperate situations to actually be able to change the value of their life? And, you know, a lot of research, for instance, goes into MND, for example, as a side talent into MND, finding a solution for MND, right? Because if we find mm. a solution for MND, I'll gladly go out of business or, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, right. We'll, we'll gladly move on. But for right now, our technology solution is showing that people can get back to some sort of normality mm. by using this technology. We have a client in Sydney here who, you know, one of his passions, he has MND, one of his passions is gambling. He loves it. You know, as an as an not a not an out of control gambler, but a person who enjoys the flutter. Yeah. And you know, with our technology, he's able to do that. Mm. And and you know, we all like our own personal passions, and we're able to pursue them. And that's part of our freedom, part of our life, part of our personality. And we just want to help people do that. When you have such severe limitations, every incremental capability uh, takes on so much more value because you are so restricted. So yeah, I, I could see what you're saying. What about in terms of costs, Rob? What does it cost someone to to use your full system, and 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 how yep. is that funded? Is it just privately funded? Is it covered by government support? Like, how does that work? Well, that's one of the fundamentals that we did when we built the business. So we have Medic National across the United States. We have VA. In the United States will fund this product. It will fund this in thirty-five states. So we've got we've done a lot of those funnels in getting in place. Whether they will fund it is always a challenge because you have to go. But we also have NDIS funding and they've been terrific in terms of understanding what this Australian technology does and what it can do for people and, you know, where we can take it. So it's around $21,000 to buy the full system, which includes stands, it includes software, it includes the computer system and the NeuroNode device as well, plus iGaze. So there's a lot of value in what we do. And 
the interesting thing about our technology is that whilst it works best in combination with eye gaze and with the neuronode, it doesn't mean to say that you can't use the individual elements as well if you prefer that mode of access. So if your eyes are really tired that day and you really can't focus on, on eye gaze, you can still use the neuronode with scanning technology across the page to select those items. And we've got plenty of clients who, you know, daily do that, you know, and, or, or a client who wants to unpair their device from their big screen with their eye gaze technology and then pair it to an iPhone because they want to go out in public and be able to use it's just a small device to be able to communicate. We can do all of that. So from a flexibility point of view, the great um, solution that gives people plenty of options and also for clinicians, a, a, a really relief because you, you only get to go in and assess the client at a certain period of time. And then they're the ones who, who have to make a decision as to what technology is best. Without technology, there's a relief because there's lots of different. And mm. we're certainly, we're building a big assessment trial library, both in the US and Australia. And our philosophy is everyone who could possibly use this technology should at least have the opportunity to try it and see whether it can help their life. Okay, and so if, if people are interested to try it and, and check out more, I guess the best thing for them to do is to go to controlbionics.com, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And there'll, there'll be a, a, a web form page for you to enter and, and we'd certainly welcome anyone who thinks that their, their brother, sister, person they know could benefit from this technology. All right, great, Rob. Well, thanks so much for your time. I'm, I'm really excited for you. It's a wonderful you. business. What you're doing is a real mission. I'm so pleased to see that the investors seem to get that, that the mission that you're on and they're all excited about it too. And, and I hope that the next year is everything you hope it's going to be for the business. Thanks, Simon. Great to connect with you again, mate. That's it for today's podcast. If you'd like to see more of what I'm exploring, sign up to my free newsletter. Just go to curation.substack.com. And if you come across something you think I'd like, please email me to let me know why it's worth checking out. Articles, lectures, podcasts, books, exhibitions, whatever. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.